0: On today's debut episode of Lit Chat, we discuss Tiger Woods. My thoughts go out to him and his family. In addition to that, there was a 35th anniversary of a classic video game that I'll get into. We talk about the Night Stalker, and then we'll close things out with a segment I I like to call, How Old Are You When You Stop Sounding Cool? But before we get into that, I want to let you know that this episode of Lit Chat is brought to you by joeislit.com. I mean, did you think I was actually going to have a sponsor at this point? Come on. Go to joaslit.com for behind-the-scenes details of the time that I auditioned for the hit Fox TV show, More to Love. You can also read about the time that I scanned the publisher's clearinghouse out of several months' worth of Sports Illustrated and Playboy magazines. All that and much more at www.joaslit.com. All right, let's light this up. What's up, heat seekers? My name is Joe Otis, and welcome to the first ever edition of Lit Chat. We have a packed show for you today, but before we get started, I just wanted to say that this is an amazing feeling right now. I have always wanted to start a podcast. I would say I've wanted to start a podcast for at least the last 10 years. The first podcast I would regularly listen to was from pro wrestler Cole Cabana. Colt is an amazing conversationalist and comedian. His style of podcasting would be to get a microphone, sit in a hotel room, and interview one of his friends, more specifically one of his pro wrestler co-workers. And it was just a regular conversation. It was like two friends just chatting, and he was so amazing, and I loved how canon his style was. It was through him that I was able to discover such modern-day superstars like Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Finn Balor, Tommaso Ciampa, and Kenny Omega. That's right, the first time I ever heard of any of these guys was on Colt's podcast. He's a true podcaster in the world, Professor of Wrestling. He was the first one, and many others followed after him and owe him a debt of gratitude for getting the whole thing started. Now, there have been many other podcasters that have inspired me to want to start podcasting, such as Rob Cessarnino, Dan Katz, PFT Commenter, KFC Radio, Ryan Russillo, and my favorite ex-Eagle, Chris Long. Hell, even Macaulay Culkin to name a few. But now you can add Joe Otis to that list. And you never know, maybe one of you listening out there right now will find some inspiration in me giving this my best shot. Does the world need another podcast? Probably not. But does the world need another really lit podcast? I say, hell yeah. Let's get into it. Tiger Woods, I mean, what can you say? It's a very unfortunate situation. When somebody has to be to get removed from a vehicle using the jaws of life, that's a really, really bad thing. That and the fact that he broke both of his legs is very troubling, not only for him, but for all of his fans worldwide. You don't need to take it from me to know that Tiger Woods is a legend, and some say the absolute GOAT when it comes to golf. And it's a shame because right now his total tournament wins sit at 82, tied with Sam Snead for the, the all-time lead. He just needs... To one more PGA Tour victory to take that solo lead. Just one more. And something like this happens. It's so unfortunate. Uh, was he going to pass Jack Nicholas for the all-time major lead before this unfortunate accident? Now that's debatable. Right now he's 45 years old. He has a bad back. And it was just so thrilling to watch him win the Masters in 2019. At that moment, it seemed like, you know, the book was still open on Tiger possibly overtaking Nicholas if he got hot. I mean, it seems like he still could have just maybe perhaps if he got a few more victories in there, for few more majors, maybe a U.S. Open, maybe a Masters here and there, uh, maybe he can get that lead. Maybe he, he can overtake Jack Nicklaus. And like I said, I mean, it was just so thrilling to watch him win, win that uh, Masters back in 2019. Uh, you just want, really want to see him do it again. I mean, but he hasn't really won any majors since then. And with COVID, you know, hitting the world, it only slowed him as well as many golfers down. I feel that this accident unfortunately feels like the nail in the coffin on his career. But who really cares about golf statistics right now? I mean, you just want to see the guy get healthy again, whether he plays golf again or not. But this very well could be the end of his career. And, um, and like I said, I mean, it's very, very unfortunate. Now, I feel that it's a little silly for all the comments that you see on social media about Tiger, you know, that his new girlfriend got pissed off at him, you know, chasing him with a golf club, causing him to crash into a ditch. Come on, that's nuts, guys. That's that's craziness. He had one bad moment with his ex-wife 10 years ago, and that seems to be what many people remember. Not the fact that he very well could be the greatest golfer in the history of the game, whether he incredibly recovers and takes the all-time majors lead or not, his accomplishments, his accomplishments, they stand for themselves, you know, not only in his victories, but in his bringing awareness of the game, the way he was a brand ambassador, the way, uh, you know, people, you know, learn about the game, how many more more young kids got interested, like in the in the late 90s or in the early 2000s, how many people, you know, wore the Nike hats or the Nike clothes because of Tiger Woods, you know, he always wore red on Sundays Whenever he, he was like a shark in the water, you know, smelling blood. I mean... His achievements to the game, you know, they're on questions. I mean, some question that recent documentary that was filmed and wonder if he was out partying into the early morning, I say, you know, let the facts come in before you start to make our decisions, you know, about what really happened. Until then, all you can do is, you know, you give a little teas and a little peas, thoughts your prayers, you know, hopefully he will get better, hopefully he will get healthy again, and hopefully he will be able to play some golf. I just want to see him recover, you know, for himself, for, you know, for his family. You know, it doesn't really matter at this point if he plays golf again, because, you know, I mean, that that's all that matters. I just, you know, I want to see him get healthy. And um, yeah, and that's that. I mean, he was such a, you know, pleasure to watch golf. And I, I just re- recently started watching the game uh, in the last few years or so. And I mean, I, I never really was into it that much, but watching him, seeing how much he meant to the game, that was very, very inspirational. And, uh, you know, he's going to be very, very missed if, if he never plays again. But, you know, I hope, I hope he does. All right, folks. So it's the time that all of you nostalgia freaks have been waiting for. It's a time when I bring you back to a more innocent period in our lives. Because we're going to celebrate on this very podcast the 35th anniversary of The Legend of Zelda. Zelda was a very groundbreaking game for its time. You know, released in Japan in February of 1986, the packaging was very, very distinct from many Nintendo games at the time. Did anything look cooler than a gold Nintendo cartridge? I think not. Because this game had it. Did it have its own cartoon show? Yes. Did it have its own breakfast cereal? You bet. Its own set of toys? Mm Mm-hmm. Not only that, but it was the beginning of a series that would last for the next 35 years from game system to game system it's still here. And with the success of the game from each and every generation of Nintendo system that is released, it's not going anywhere. Just think of this. You love playing this game so much as a kid. Then when you got your Super Nintendo, you loved the Link to the Past. Then when you got your N64, you fell in love with Ocarina of Time. And for all you out there who have kids that are getting into video games, you can see your kids getting into the most recent games on the Switch, Breath of the Wild. It's so freaking amazing to think that my kid very well could have a similar, imaginative, and adventurous game experience that I did as a child, with the same exact characters, but with better graphics. Now, like I said, the original Legend of Zelda was groundbreaking. Everything from the music, to the weapons, to the ginormous layout of the Kingdom of Hyrule, and its eight dungeons was like nothing we've ever seen before. And a game that big would require a save feature. So for the first time ever, a game cartridge was installed with a chip inside that would allow you to save the game. And there were three available slots for players to save their character. I couldn't wait for my chance to rent The Legend of Zelda. This game was so huge that it even had a Friday cartoon segment on the Super Mario Bros. Super Show. That weekend in the fall of 1989 would be my first time to ever get to play the game. But I didn't have enough money in my piggy bank to buy the game outright. I was going to have to find an alternate way. And that alternate way was video game rental. Now, before Blockbuster was the biggest family entertainment store in the U.S., we used to have to go to our local mom and pop stores to rent the game. My family rental store of choice was called The Movie Shop on Route 33, which, as you can imagine, has since closed down. But on that weekend, we rented The Legend of Zelda, Marble Madness, and probably True Beverly Hills and The Great Outdoors. So I brought the game home, and there were the three save slots filled already by three players. One was named Link, the titular main character of the Zelda series wearing his custom green outfit. Lenny, who was wearing an advanced armor blue outfit, and Paul, who had an even more advanced red outfit. So I set out to start my game. I entered the name Joey over Paul's name, and I begin to play the game. So I enjoy myself for the next hour playing the game, and I explore the first dungeon, and I beat it. And But I don't really get far in the game, because after all, I am six years old. So when I was finished play, enjoying the game and playing it, I realized that Paul's game was, name was gone. Forever. I was scared shitless, because I had thought that I had broken the game. So little Joey begins to cry in his TV room, thinking that he destroyed the game. And he would have to buy a new one with the money that he does not have. So I, I, was, I was crying. I was really, really, really sad. Because <laughs> I didn't want to have to buy a new game for the movie shop. I wanted to buy a game for myself. So I can only imagine what my father thought when his dumbass six-year-old starts crying, thinking that he broke the game. When all that he did was start playing his own game. Because that's what he was entitled to do when he took out his money and decided to rent the game but my dad had no clue how le- electronics worked. What? What? You broke the game? Oh my God. So he called the movie shop who explained to him that his little son did not break the game and that he had every right to start his own adventure in the land of Hyrule. Thank God. I wouldn't actually beat The Legend of Zelda until I reached high school. With the help of some strategy guides, but I finally beat the game. Every so often I'll watch YouTube clips and watch some long form gameplay of people beating my favorite Nintendo games that I grew up with. It makes me feel so nostalgic, and I can't wait to have those memories with my son. Okay, let's talk about the Night Stalker, or what I want to discuss, the pop culture glorification of the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. So I recently watched Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer on Netflix, and I have to say, this guy was totally freaking crazy. He scared the daylights out of me, and I'm, you know, a chunky guy. He still scared me. I can only imagine the fear that his victims must have experienced. With that taking into effect and consideration the incredible bravery that child victim Anastasia Hironis has to do to relive that terror again here in 2021 by even appearing in this documentary. I mean, it was harrowing. and I mean, she told her amazing tale of survival. It was gut-wrenching for me. I read an article in Variety by Brett Lang that the documentary's director, Tiller Russell, did not want to glorify the crimes of Richard Ramirez. And, And as a viewer, I can respect that. I appreciated the fact that the documentary detailed the police investigation by Frank Salerno and Gil Carrillo to track and arrest the Night Stalker. Now I'm not trying to be a tough guy when I appreciate violence, okay? But it was really something to hear how an entire neighborhood in East L.A. located the Night Stalker in a bus station and then hunted his ass down and beat the living shit out of him until the police arrived. You know, a real crazy end to the investigation. Uh, you know, And probably deserved one. He probably deserved to get his ass kicked, I must say. Which brings me to how the Night Salker has been depicted in pop culture over the last several years, mainly in Ryan Murphy's productions of 2015's American Horror Story Hotel and 2019's American Horror Story 1984. So Richard Ramirez pops up twice in the American Horror Story universe. First, as a fictionalized ghost at the aforementioned hotel, played by Anthony Ruvivar, and in AHS 1984, this time played by Zach Villa. I mean, not just once, twice a fictionalized version of the Night Socker pops up in American Horror Story. And this is my opinion. I feel like they almost glorified him in AHS 94 with making him a recurring character on the show. Was that really necessary? Couldn't they have like made up a serial killer, like came up with a fake name. I mean, I, I, I don't know how, I'm how, what you, what you guys would think about this as, you know, as viewers. I mean, do you think they just sort of like created their own character? Did they have to use a real life serial killer in this instance? Um, I mean, there were many times when I watched Ryan Murphy shows like American horror story and American crime story, you know, thinking like what would Donatella Versace think about this? Like what would Ronald Goldman think about this seeing, you know, their children's or their siblings or loved ones murder portrayed on television again, you know, without their authorization. It's very much taking the good with the bad when watching these shows. I mean, they're very entertaining shows. Believe me, I I can see that, but it almost like, like, you know, you know, I try to have like a big heart in situations like this. And sometimes it just, you know, it, it gets to you, you know, it, it almost makes you think if he will one day make a series devoted to the real life troubles of glee, a show that he created. Now, that's a show that had some serious problems. And believe me, I'm not making a joke here. Uh, three of the young main characters have died within six years of the show ending. What if someone decided to make a show, you know, showing how Corey Monteith, you know, battled and succumbed to his personal demons through drug addiction? How about the alleged racism that ran rampant on the set by Liam Michelle that was just made uh, public by a former co-star? What if someone decided to make a show, um, you know, detailing Mark Song's pedophilia and eventual public suicide to avoid jail time, or even Naira Rivera's tragic lake drowning, you know, with her son on the boat? That show had some dark moments. Is anyone going to ever write a book about it or make a TV series like American Crime Story? I guess time will tell. But in the meantime, maybe we can stop glorifying real life serial killers in our mass media. I mean, I I would appreciate. That. All right, we are now on to our last segment, and we're here to end things on a lighthearted note. It's almost like we had an alternating sad, happy, sad, now happy discussions for you on the first ever episode of Lit Chat. I enjoy spending time on social media. It's been a large part of our lives for the last 20 years, you know, when we were typing age, sex, location, in chat rooms. Oh, oh! no one else actually did that but me. Oh, OK. But going on Twitter and listening to other podcasts with cooler and younger people, they definitely have a different way of speaking now that I'm not used to as a Gen Y fella. When I first developed my brand, Joe is Lit, I often thought that not only did I touch on the lingo of, t- of today's youth uh, by saying lit, but the word lit is also similar for when a light bulb goes off when you get a bright idea. Because that's what I wanted to be known as—someone who makes bright ideas. I, you know, I come up with this name in, you know, back in the time when I was trying to look for a job, you know, for, in copywriting. That's when I came up with the name. Uh, this is back in 2019. You know, since then, other terms have been invented. It seems like "lit" has morphed into saying that something is fire. I recently recorded a video on social media describing a snapback hat as fire. And I kind of felt silly and unnatural doing it. I kind of like felt like a douchebag, you know, in other terms. But other sayings that I have heard are when something is great or past fire, it is, quote, electric. Yeah, electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie. Yeah, I'm not a dork. (laughs) Or when a song sounds fantastic, people say that the song, quote, slaps. Now, my question for you the Heat Seekers is, at what age are you too old to use youthful lingo where it stops being cool? Now, I'm a parent now, and I used to find it funny as a kid when the nerdy parents would try to talk like a cool young person to fit in with their kids. And when they started using the lingo, it stopped being cool. Kind of like when your parents started using social media. My answer to you, I mean, my answer to when you were too old to use cool lingo, I would say is 33 that's the age when it stops being cool. So what do you think? You know, leave me a comment. You can contact me on social media. Send me an email at joe at com, or find me on Twitter at or Instagram at joeisverylit. That's Joe is very lit, And on Facebook at joe is lit. I can't wait to hear what you say. Well, you made it to the end of the podcast. My debut entry. I can't wait to revisit this several years in the future to hear how much I've improved on my podcasting skills since then. If you like what you heard, I'll be back next Wednesday with another edition of Lit Chat. Please like, comment, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform to Lit Chat and help me build this brand. This is Yen as always. Take care and stay lit. Goodbye.